listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. Uh, As we say on Easter Sunday, He is risen. And that was a terrible, terrible response. (laughs) Terrible, terrible. I say he is risen. You say he is risen. Yeah, thank you. I say he is risen. You say he's risen indeed. All right, ready? He is risen. risen Now, like you mean it, he is risen. risen You know, we could say that every Sunday morning because that's why we gather. We gather on the first day of the week because the early church began to gather on the day that he is risen. There you go. But today is a special day. Today is a day that all of the world is celebrating something, or at least the world knows something is going on in the Christian realm. And that is a day that we want to capitalize on. That is a day that we want to, to step into with everything we've got. That is a day that we want to lift up and glorify the name of Jesus so that anybody within the hearing of our words or our singing uh, will know who it is that we're celebrating and why it is that we are gathered. We've been studying as a church the book of James, and so I would invite you to come back next week as uh, we'll be jumping back into the book of James. Uh, but today we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep, and we're going to pick up where we left off on Friday. And you say, "Wait a minute, Friday? What? What was Friday? Well, Friday we celebrated Good Friday through family communion. We've gathered here as is our norm every year. We come together on Good Friday evening, and we just have a time of scripture reading, of song, and then we celebrate family communion. And on Good Friday, we read through the biblical account that walked us all the way through the last hours of Jesus' earthly ministry. We saw how that uh, he, enter, he encountered different individuals who had questions and wonders as they were going into the Passover season. We saw how that Jesus celebrated the Passover supper with his disciples. We saw how that Jesus instituted something new as a part of that Passover season, that thing that we call the Lord's Supper, communion, the table of Christ. We come together and he instituted that in order to point towards something that that was to come in just a few hours for those first participants in that celebration. Uh, The few hours after they ate the bread and drank the cup, they walked out into a garden place where Jesus prayed and agonized over the fact that his time was soon to come. You say, what time was that? Just a, a few moments after Christ came and prayed, the one who had determined to betray came with the temple guards and pointed him out with a kiss. Jesus was betrayed and arrested and taken to trial where for the next few hours he was placed on a trial that was illegal in all of Israel. It should not have happened the way it happened, but it had to be done in secret for fear of the people. And in those secret trials, we learn that they condemned Jesus for blasphemy. What did Jesus say that was so blasphemous? I'll tell you, Jesus had said in his ministry while in Jerusalem, he had said to the religious leaders, if you tear down this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. 
course, Jesus was not talking about the earthly structure that was known as the temple. He was talking about his very own body. You can destroy this, and in three days, it will be rebuilt. But they took it as blasphemy. They got some folks that would lie about Jesus, and they, and, and they defended that claim of blasphemy. And so Jesus was taken, brought before the Romans, and presented to the Romans as a criminal. Presented to the Romans as someone who wanted to step over their bounds and into Caesar's realm and claim to be the king of the Jews. We saw on Friday night how that that Jesus, silent before those that would condemn him, led him to be beaten. And the scripture tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition as a man. And then brought before the people and, and, and held out before them with a crown of thorns and a bloody robe on his back and presented as the king of the Jews. And you hear the cry of the people who just a few days earlier had heralded his coming into the city with palm branches and song. You hear their voices echo, crucify him crucify him we have no other king but caesar they condemned jesus to death they led him up the way that would lead to the place of execution carrying his own cross hearing the jeers of those that should have recognized him and embraced him as messiah yet they cried out bloodthirsty for his death We saw how that at the top of that hill, between two thieves who deserved their punishment, Jesus laid down his life. No one took that away from him. No one stole his life. No one forced him into death. He laid it down willingly. We saw how they nailed him to a tree, raised him for all to see, And after hours of agony, after hours of shame and ridicule, we watched as Jesus hung his head and gave up the ghost. Yet before he passed into that aspect of death, he said these words, it is finished. What was finished The payment for sin was paid for. The thing that he had come to do was done. The wrath that God could have righteously poured out on you and me and every other sinner living in his creation was poured out on his son who was the only acceptable substitute for sinners like you and I. He was acceptable because he was perfect. He was without sin. He was without blemish. He had no guilt of his own. Yet the prophet tells us that he took our guilt on himself. And he laid down willingly as that sacrificial lamb and took the wrath of of holiness upon himself so that we might be forgiven. So that our sin might be washed clean. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. But the tomb near the, near the place because it was getting late and it was almost Sabbath. They placed him in a tomb and they rolled a stone in front of that tomb. 
And they placed a guard in front of that tomb because the leaders of the Jews had heard him saying that he was going to rise again. And we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that his disciples don't figure out somehow to make it seem like he was telling the truth. So a guard was placed, a stone was placed, and they waited. And that's where we pick up our story. John chapter number 20 says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they began going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Oasis Church, on the first day of that week, when they went, went to, to bring spices and, 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 and things to cover the smell of a rotting body, they discovered that, you ready? He is risen. And so for the next few verses... We see the encounters of the resurrected Jesus with four different folks or groups of folks. Four different opportunities that the resurrected Jesus encountered folks just like you and me. In these encounters, he he comes into, into the presence of those who were already his followers These were folks that had already believed that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, the adopted son of Joseph is the Messiah. He's the one that God had promised that would come and would bring bring forgiveness and and bring us to our place that, that God intended. We believe that it's Jesus. These were followers. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want you to hear these words I want you to see these encounters as opportunities to meet the resurrected Jesus as his follower. Now, I realize that on a day like today, with with visitors and people that are here, you say, well, Kevin, I'm not really a, I wouldn't really consider myself a follower of Jesus. We're glad you're here. And I'm just going to ask you to listen to these encounters and then just hold on. Because we've got to, we've got to tie into you. We don't leave you. We don't leave you behind. 
But for you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to see how that the resurrected Jesus encountered despair, fear, doubt, and failure. Despair, fear, doubt, and failure. Let's pick up verse number Verse number 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. This is Mary Magdalene that he's speaking of and mentions her in verse number one. You know, there's not a lot that we know about Mary Magdalene, at least not from the, the, uh, the gospel accounts. We don't know a lot about Mary. We, we know that we see her first in Luke chapter number eight. In Luke chapter number eight, Luke uh, describes a group of women who were following Jesus and, and were helping to finance his ministry. And he names them by name, and Mary was one of these. And in Luke eight, Luke identifies Mary uh, as the Magdalene. And they say, well, what does that mean? Well, it wasn't really her last name and it wasn't descriptive of anything other than the fact that this is Mary from Magdala. I had the opportunity to go to, uh, to Israel a few years back and, and in between uh, Capernaum and Tiberias on the western side of the Sea of Galilee is a little area that now is a historical dig and it's called the, the area of what they believe was the city of Magdala. So Mary was identified as the Mary from Magdala. You say, well, why that? Well, because there was Mary, the mother of the Lord, Mary, the mother of James, Mary from Magdala. It was just like uh, those names that were common and to, to, to distinguish. But he also said something else about this one from Magdala. He said this Mary Magdalene, whom the Lord had cast out seven evil spirits. So Mary had been the recipient of, of Jesus' healing ministry. And now she was following him and evidently was using her means to fund his earthly ministry. It's this Mary that stood weeping outside the tomb, verse 11. Why was she weeping? I'll tell you why she was weeping. Because the one that she thought was Messiah, the one that she firmly believed was going to be the one that would, that would ascend to the throne and bring Israel back into the prominence that they were promised, the one who was going to set up a rule over Rome and finally bring uh, the people of Israel back to the place God intended. She had watched him crucified. And we see some some things on the road that cause, you know, our, our hearts to skip and accidents and things of that nature. Maybe in your lifetime, maybe you have been allowed, if your family has ever had a, 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 a capital crime committed against you, and maybe you're one of the few that have been allowed by the state to witness a formal execution, but most of us have never even seen that. We have no clue what it looked like to see a man crucified. And you say, yeah, but Pastor Kevin, I've seen uh, the passion. You know, Mel Gibson did a fantastic job of bringing out the realism. Let me tell you something. Mel did the best he could. And I think he did a fantastic job of, of, of helping us understand the magnitude, but Mel wasn't there a Roman crucifixion by all accounts is one of the most 
dehumanizing, brutal events to ever happen. One of the biggest things that Hollywood can't do is the shame of crucifixion. Because the criminals are left naked on the cross. And they're left, we, we were talking the other day, Rhett and I were walking when we had the cross up here on the, on the, uh, on the stage for Good Friday. It, the crossbar came to about right here and we were talking about whether or not this was uh, accurate or not. And a lot of times in Hollywood, we see the cross way up high where you're just looking at them from way up. From what I understand, the Romans would put the crosses along the, the walking paths so that the, the, the one being crucified, the one being executed was at, was at face level with the folks that would walk by so that the folks that walked by could do whatever they wanted to to the criminal. So that the spit would not be something up toward his feet but right in his face so that they could hit and pull and pinch and poke whatever they wanted to. This was Mary's Messiah. She had watched him brutalized. She had watched him go from the miracle worker to suffering beyond the likes that she could imagine. For what had he done? Nothing. And now she can't even find his body. And she's weeping. Because everything she trusted, everything she knew, everything she believed was gone. I've seen it's not, somebody took his body. Somebody's making sport. We, we can't even honor him. She stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw something, verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, and, and I just imagine, you know, this is just my imagination. I've never seen an angel. I don't know how they sit. I don't know how they conduct themselves. I just, in my imagination, because they know what's going on. She don't know what's going on. They do. I just imagine they're sitting comfortably. Like they're, they're not sitting on pins and needles. They're hanging out. For what? For them that came looking. And I just imagine they see her coming in, weeping, and, 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 and at absolute personal despair. And they on that side of the sepulcher there say, Hey, woman. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a distraught situation and you run into somebody who's all smiles and you just want to slap them, don't you? I mean, you've had a bad day. You, you're hurting. Some, they can't fix it, but there they are with another big cheese-eating grins on. And it's like, I always wish you'd get away from it, not these guys. She walked into the tomb, and she saw these guys sitting there, and they said, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw who, class? Jesus. 
she encountered the resurrected Christ. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know what, that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him that I may take him away. At least give me the opportunity to, to treat his body with dignity. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord that he had said these things to her. In a moment, all of her despair turned to excitement and joy. Why? Why? Because he is risen. What have I got to be sad about anymore? What have I got to be worried about anymore? Because the one I saw brutalized, I saw them kill him. I saw them torture him. I've seen him alive. Follower of Jesus, Christian, there was a point in your life where you got a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus and he was, he was bold enough and bright enough to convince you that he was a savior worth following. That, that he was a God worth believing in. And you trusted him as your savior. And you had your sins washed clean. And you became a part of the family of God. But life has set in on you. And circumstances have come at you. And things have been swirling around you that bring you to this place of everything I knew and trust seems to be absent and I'm all alone. And can I remind you of something, Christian? He's risen. And there's nothing, there's nothing in the realm of despair that can ever be unovercome by the resurrection there are things that will break our heart there will things that there are things that will leave us confused and rattled and think that there's no way that we'll be able to handle or figure or know what God is doing and can I tell you something because he's alive I can face tomorrow even with all of its disparaging circumstances and I can look into those circumstances with the confidence that because he's alive, then no matter what happens to me forever, I will be alive if I know Jesus as my Savior. Despair will wrap its hands around your throat and try to choke you out. Let me tell you something, Christian. You look at despair through the eyes of resurrection. And see the one who has conquered anything that would bring you to the brink of hopelessness. Because 
we've been born again to a living hope. We see despair's encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse number 19. On the evening of that day, now keep in mind, she has told the disciples that she's seen Jesus. She's told them he's alive. She's told them what she's seen and what he said. And it's the evening of that same night. And these are the same folks that he has said this, that she said these things to. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. Why? For fear of the Jews. Why were these guys fearful of the Jews? I'm going to tell you why. Because they had seen their leader, their rabbi. Look, the people of, uh, around Jerusalem, those religious leaders, they had seen Jesus enough to know who it was hanging out with him. They knew that Jesus had a group of guys who was always with him. They knew that they were from all over the place, from all walks of life, some fishermen. There was a former zealot. How in the world is he trying? A tax collector. Are you kidding me? They knew who Jesus' entourage was. And the Jews had such a sport putting Jesus to death, they would have naturally assumed what would make this week better than for them to round the rest of us up and to do to us what they did to him. So their fear had a pretty valid foundation in that they were scared of what was potentially going to happen to them. And so they were in a room with the doors locked and barricaded themselves in, hoping to goodness they didn't find out where they were hiding. Picking up in verse 19, while they were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, you'll notice that the text didn't say that they were behind the locked doors. And they heard a knock at the door. They didn't say that. They didn't say that they were behind the locked doors. And they started seeing the roof material begin to separate. You know, they'd been in a room like that before. And, and, and Jesus come, you know, repelling down. No, they didn't say anything about him going, hey, I was hiding in here the whole day. No, no. They were in there for fear. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I grew up watching Star Trek. You know, the thing I loved about Star Trek was that they could get up and they could stand on one of them little shiny discs and, and then somebody would take and, and they would push. I don't know what they were pushing up on. I don't know if that, I just don't know what they were doing, but they were pushing up them little slides and, and all of a sudden these little all over you and you would be gone. And then down on the planet below, and there you were. And I would think, how cool would that be? I would love to have transportation abilities when it comes to going to Georgia to visit my family. You know what that would relieve me of? All the griping and complaining and bathroom breaks and all that kind of stuff. Man, I'd be going all the time if I could just blah, blah, blah and be gone. Apparently, Jesus had blah, blah, blah abilities. Because they said they were there, they were huddled in fear. And then all of a sudden, there was Jesus. Why did he say, peace be to you? Because don't you know his just appearing out of nowhere must have shook them to the core? Scared them to death. And Jesus is like, peace be with you. In one of the other gospel accounts, 
the Bible tells us that, uh, that Jesus said, hey, y'all got anything to eat? So that they wouldn't think that he was like some kind of disembodied spirit. Like he was some specter or ghost. He's like, you got something to eat? And they're like, yeah, we got some leftover fish over here. And they handed it to him. He ate the broil fish. Kind of gave him a minute just to kind of reacclimate to the fact that the one we had seen crucified is now standing here. And he's showing us the nail prints in his hand. It's just, this is not a different body. This is the same one, but you can just appear now. And we didn't know that was possible. They were scared to death. I want you to imagine the most frightened you've ever been. You could probably tell the story, and I bet it would be a fantastic story that I would love to hear. When fear had gripped you, and you just, you, you did not know where, who, how, and you were just, you were engulfed in fear. That's where they were, maybe multiplied by a few. And there was Jesus. And Jesus is saying, peace, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And in that moment, the the fear had to leave because, okay, I saw what they did to him, and he's not dead anymore. He's alive. We were there. We saw it happen. Now he's alive, and he's not having any problems. I mean, he's not complaining. He's not limping. He's asking for something to eat, and he's talking about peace. Can I just tell you, whenever I have been afraid and I've had an opportunity to encounter somebody that I trust, that I know who loves me, and I've had them put their arm around me and say, hey, man, look, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know. I really don't know how, but I just want you to know I'm with you. I'm with you in this. You're not alone. I just, you know how the fear just kind of subsides and your, you know, your, your nerves just kind of calm down a little bit and you come back to a fact that, you know what, at least I'm not alone in it. Because I think that's where when we're huddled and we're isolating and we're hiding, that's where the fear gets us. But when we know that we've got folks around us, the resurrected Jesus is standing in their presence. And he's going, Peace. I'm good. You're good. Christian fear will captivate you if you let it. The things of this world, the questions you don't have answers for, it'll get a hold of you and it'll hold you imprisoned. But can I just tell you, because he's alive, you ain't got to be afraid of nothing. Because he's alive, we don't have to fear anything. 
Why? Death has been defeated. Hell has been defeated. The grave, the enemy, my sin has been forgiven. I have no reason to fear. Why? Because it has encountered the risen Jesus. They didn't have to fear and we don't because, church, he is risen. Third, doubt. We like to throw this guy under the bus. We like, to, we like to hold him up as that guy we don't want to be. Verse number 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, apparently he was a twin, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas was out. He was, wasn't with them when Jesus appeared to him. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so Thomas gets the name Doubting Thomas. Well, let's don't, let's don't be too brutal on Thomas because in John chapter 11, I heard Chuck Swindoll preaching on this this week and I've not been able to get away from it. In John chapter number 11, Jesus was, was preparing to go toward Jerusalem where the, the political climate was hot and Jesus was public enemy number one. Jesus was going to go down because his uh, friend had been sick and now was dead. And now Jesus was going to comfort his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Mary was Bethany. It was near Jerusalem. Jesus said, we're going to go down. And all the other disciples were going, oh, no, Jesus, that's just not a good idea. We don't need to go. You're kind of public enemy number one. Things are heightened down in there. Let's just don't do that. Let's don't stir up the hornet's nest. Let's just sit back here. And Thomas was the only one that went, hey, guys, you know what? If he's going, let's go with him and just die with him. I mean, Thomas was the only one that basically said, hey, I'm with you. If you're going down, I'm going down. So let's don't be so hard on Thomas. Here's Thomas going, you guys are crazy. I can't, you know, really. Have we not ever heard folks say things and we go, and we're smiling the whole time and we're nodding. And they're telling us this great story and then we're like, yeah, that's excellent. And we turn away and we look at our wife and we go, that one was crazy. That man, he ain't got no sense. I don't believe that at all. And you know what? A little dose of healthy skepticism, I would say, is a probably good thing to have these days with all the stories floating around. But can you imagine Thomas? Thomas had not seen him. Thomas had not, had not heard him. And Thomas is just like, hey, I want to believe you, but honestly, until I can see him, until I can know that I'm putting my hand where his nails were and that spear went, I'm just sorry, guys. I'm not going to be able to, to, to trust this that I want to be true. I doubt it. I want it to be true, but I just can't wrap my mind around it. Verse 26, eight days later. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I imagine Thomas went with them everywhere they went after this. Don't you know? Thomas was with them. I'm not leaving y'all now. Although the doors were locked, here we go again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, I didn't look to see if that was singular or plural. It's probably plural. When he said, peace be with you. But I, in my, I go to my imagination. I imagine when Jesus appeared, 
that while he was speaking peace to them all, I just imagine him locking in on Thomas and going, peace be with you. I'm here. You see me now. Then he said to Thomas, look, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out his hands and and place it here in my side. Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. Now, don't you look at Thomas's response. Verse number 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Because that's who he is. Thomas saw him. You know, it doesn't say that Thomas reached and put his finger in the nail holes or that he put his hand. Thomas saw, that was it. I've seen him, my doubts are gone. But look what Jesus also said. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? The rhetorical answer is yes. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Who is that talking about? You say, I've heard this before. We're going through life. We come under the the, the weight of despair and feeling hopeless and helpless and, and it's driven by fear and, and, and we start doubting whether or not we can trust what, what God has said. Isn't that true, Christian? We do that. We doubt it. We, we think, well, well, maybe I'm just the one that he's not hearing right now. He's hearing everybody else, but I, I guess it doesn't apply to me. We, we fall under that, that shadow of doubt. And we would even say things like, well, if God would just, and then we fill in the blank with that, whatever that sign is, if God would just, you know, move the picture frame a foot to the right on the mantle, I'd believe, or God would just bring so-and-so home, or, or I'm going to count to three, God, and if, if you're going to come through for me, just make the telephone ring and let it be that person. And we put all of those things because we're doubting that God means what he says and that that applies to me. Jesus tells us that we're blessed when we've not seen and yet believe. But you know, we're not believing willy-nilly. We're not just hoping that this is true. And it's not the fact that the Bible says it. Because the Bible is made up of authentic first century documents. It's not that the book of the Bible called John says it. It's that the, 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 the account of Jesus' life written by the apostle John that has spanned centuries and centuries and centuries goes back to documents that were copied in this very first century and have been authenticated as actual documents from that period. And if you believe a history book that tells you what Julius Caesar did and you think that I can trust that because it goes back as a historical fact, then you have no idea how much more factual your scripture is because of the number of copies and the number of manuscripts that are available that go all the way back with the same 
facts. And the folks that wrote this went through unbelievable persecution, maintaining that it was true. So I don't have to have seen the resurrected Christ for my doubt to be encountered by him because they saw him and it faced and encountered their doubt. And I hear him say, and blessed are you, you're not going to see me, but you do. The resurrected Christ encountered doubt and it had to go away. You know why? You probably do. Because he is risen. The last one. We have to go to the next chapter. We've seen despair. We've seen fear, doubt. Now failure. John chapter 21, verse number 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Let's go back in the story just a little bit. On the night that Jesus was on trial, Peter was in the courtyard warming himself, watching to see what was going to happen as he was trying to get a glimpse of what these, they were yelling and they had taken him out of the garden and he's just looking around trying to figure out what's going to happen. And one of the folks in the courtyard comes up and goes, hey, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Go back in the story. A few hours before this, while Jesus is celebrating the Passover and that, that, that new thing that he instituted with, with, with bread and, and, and with wine that symbolized his broken body and shed blood, Peter had made this declaration they said, Jesus, whatever you do, I'm going to do. And Jesus, Jesus like, Peter, you, you don't know what you're saying. He said, yes, I do. If, if, if you die, I'm dying. And Jesus said, well, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Here's Peter warming as he's watching. What are they going to do to him? Hey, you're one of his disciples. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. No, I'm not one of them. Scripture tells us after a little while, another came. Yeah, I've seen you. You're a Galilean. You are one of his. And he says, no, no, you, you must be thinking about somebody else. I don't even know who the guy is. And then the last one says, oh, yes, you are. I've seen you at multiple places with him. And the Bible says that Peter absolutely despises Christ by calling down curses. May God strike me dead, basically, if I know him and follow him. And immediately the scripture tells us, The rooster crowed. Failure. Christian, follower of Jesus, you ever blown it? When they had finished breakfast, because Peter had gone fishing, he'd fished all night and they hadn't caught anything, had a few of his buddies with him and caught everything, and it didn't didn't catch anything, fish all night. And, and, And they 
were pulling the nets in first thing in the morning because you don't want to fish when it's hot, once the sun comes up. And they see somebody on the shore and they holler out at them, hey, fellas, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, thanks for asking. No, we hadn't caught anything. Guy on the shore says, cast the net on the other side. Hmm, that sounds familiar. They threw the nets on the other side and the scripture tells us that they couldn't even pull the number in. It was so full. Peter immediately recognized that it was the Lord, dove into the water, swam to where Jesus was at, and discovered that there on the shore was Jesus with a fire made and fish broiling or roasting. Got a question for you. How did Jesus catch them fish? In my imagination, they just swam up to the edge, and he put, I'm just saying, that's the way I think. Come here. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway. After they ate, Jesus looked at the failure. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't know whether Jesus was talking about, do you love me more than these fish or do you love me more than these disciples? I kind of think it was the disciples. Do, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He being Jesus said to him, Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter, do you love me? I do. Yeah, yeah, you're a Galilean. I've, I've seen you with him. No, no, I don't, I don't know him. Good grief, leave me alone. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Yeah, I've seen you so many places. You've followed him. You're one of his disciples. May God strike me dead if I know this man. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you you know everything. You knew in the in the room that I was going to betray you, and I didn't think I would, and, and you You know what's in my heart. You know everything. Jesus says then, get busy for me. Now, Christian, I I do know about you because I know about me. As a follower of Jesus, I can't tell you the number of times that I have fumbled and bumbled my testimony through my actions and my words Can I tell you something? The resurrected Jesus meets us and says, I paid for that too. Get in here. You know, Peter had to respond to Jesus's question. And maybe right now you're sitting in the guilt of your failure, knowing good and well that he knows good and well what 
is really going on in your life. And I just believe that the resurrected king is saying, Kevin, do you love me? I know you failed, but do you love me? Yes, Lord, you you know I love you. Get in here. Confess your sin and realize that I am alive for you, even in your failure. I'm alive for you to conquer that doubt. I'm alive for you to face that fear. I'm alive for you in the times of despair. I'm alive. Sometimes we just need a reminder that the one who gave himself in our place and for our sin is alive for us today. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself today confused, wrapped up in despair and fear, doubt and failure, can I tell you something, church? He is risen. And we can encounter the risen Savior if we'll simply respond. Now, for the one who may not have ever trusted Jesus as Savior, I've got some more good news to you. Because in this same chapter, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John says this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, verse 31, these things that I have written from the very first verse, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God to the very end. But these are written, why? So that you might believe. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I wrote these things so that you would see who he is and what he's done and how that has to do with you. So that you might see him as Messiah, as God's anointed, as the sacrificial lamb, as the one who takes away the sin of the world, as the one who was bruised for your transgressions and beaten for your iniquities, but alive because God has accepted that sacrifice as sufficient. So that you might believe that he is who he says he is and who he continues to be today. So that you might believe. In our culture, we've got to be careful. In our culture, belief has to do with the the backpack of my life, if you will. The things that we add to the backpack of our life and as we continue our journey. And unfortunately, so many people come to this message about Jesus and go, you know what? I'll add Jesus to my life. I'll believe on him. I'll add him to my backpack and I'll keep on walking my life knowing that I'm safe and secure with Jesus in my life. Church, that ain't belief. Belief is when we come to the one who has paid it all for us. We take our backpack off. We set it at his feet. Say, Lord, you lead. I'll follow. 
I don't want to add you to my life. I want my life to be yours. And the cool thing is, when we lay our life at his feet, you know what he does? He gives us new life. He gives us what he promised Nicodemus when he said, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Tomorrow? Absolutely. But today. Because today, church, he is risen. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Nobody's looking around. Just you and the risen Savior. Have you encountered the resurrection, Jesus? In the resurrection, Jesus offers a joyful narrative to those who are broken in despair. Christian? Non-believer? In the resurrection, Jesus offers safety and courage to those who are overwhelmed by fear. He's alive. In the resurrection, Jesus offers assurance to those who wonder if there is a God and if he really cares. In the resurrection, Jesus offers forgiveness to those who've been wrecked by sin. And in the resurrection, Jesus offers new life to all who will believe. You can encounter the resurrected Jesus at any moment, on any day. But what a better day to encounter him through whatever you're facing today. Let the fact that he is alive, that he has won, that it is finished and you're secure affect how you see Affect how you feel. Affect how you move. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, see the one alive who paid sin's price for you. In a believing heart, it would sound something like this God, I know I'm a sinner. Man, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your love and I don't deserve anything from you. But, but what that fellow was talking about this, this morning about Jesus being Messiah and about him actually being the Savior and that his death was, was, was for, for sin and, and, and that has to do with me. And God, I just I want to be forgiven. I want you to save me. I believe that he rose. I, I, I don't know how he did it. I can't see him right now, but I believe that eyewitness testimony. I, I, in my heart, you couldn't convince me that he's not alive. I believe it. God, I want you to have my life. I want you to transform me. I want you to use me. I want to be yours. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but I just want you. I want to be yours. If that's your heart's desire, and I just want to invite you to 
cry out to him. He knows you. He'll save you if you let him. Let's stand together. We typically close our worship services here with prayer. We don't often do what is known as a formal invitation. That's where we invite you to come if you want to come because, well, that can be distracting to some. And the fact of the matter is, is that you can do business for God right where you're at. That's the point. God knows you. He wants you to respond to him not to me, but we've got faithful prayer partners that are always available. So when we close and we dismiss, if you're wrestling with something and you just like to, to know tangibly that you're not alone, we've got some folks that are ready and prepared to pray with you, pray for you. And if, you know, we get overwhelmed, we've got other folks that we can pull that would be ready to, to be here for you. But let me just tell you this. If you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior or... If you're here today and today you made in your heart a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, I just want to ask that you come tell me that because I'd love to be able to pray for you and with you and just be able to have a conversation about what has transpired and how we can walk together as brothers or brother and sister. So if that's you, just do me the honor of just let me know or grab my card out front, send me an email, shoot me a text. Bring me in so that I can be available and uh, helpful to you as best I can. Normal week this week. Visitors, thank you so much for being here. Um, the, I like the way it feels in here. It's awful full, right? We could, I could get real used to this. So uh, let's just make sure that we don't have that typical after one of the lowest attended services the week after Easter. So let's try to break that norm this year if we can and see everybody back who can next week. Uh, normal week coming up. Uh, we do have the disaster relief that's this coming, the training that's this coming Saturday. If that was some, if you wanted to do that but failed to, to do what was necessary, then and uh, just let me know, and I'll see if that's possible for you. It's most of the day Saturday uh, for disaster relief efforts as uh, hurricane season is coming, and we won't be prepared to be a blessing to folks in their time of need. Let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to celebrate your son's resurrection today. We're thankful that he is alive, and right now he's seated at your right hand waiting to return. We believe that he's coming back. And I pray that you'll help us to set our sights on the return of Christ, that we would organize our life according to the fact that he's coming back. I pray that you would give us courage, that you would uh, help us to see him alive when we face despair and fear and doubt and failure. God, I pray that you will help us to navigate those real-life circumstances with the truth that overcomes them all. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are for us. And God, we just look forward to how you're going to use us for your glory. We love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus, the risen Savior, our soon returning King, that all of Oasis Church says, Amen. Amen.